When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, and welcome to Rich is Not a Four-Letter Word, the podcast for your wallet. I'm Jerry Willis with the Fox Business Network. Today, I have an incredible guest for you, Dave Ramsey. Now, I know you folks, if you're listening to this podcast, you know Dave, you know Dave well. Maybe you bought his book, Total Money Makeover, that's now sold more than 6 million copies. Uh, He is my favorite interview on money. Dave, welcome to the show, and... Let me let me just ask you right off the bat here. I've been looking at these numbers for some time now. Household debt is now growing at its fastest clip in 11 years. That sets the clock back to 2007. Not a happy year for uh, most of us out there. What are you seeing? Because you talk to people every single day on your radio show. Well, it, we'd never do learn our lessons permanently, do we? <laughs> Right. I am. I am getting old. I've been doing this radio show for 25 years now, and so I've seen us go through these cycles um, repeatedly. And uh, I always laughingly think it's uh, the the latest crop of MBAs uh, when they're 38 years old and they have never experienced a downturn start making the same mistake as the last wave <laughs> made. <laughs> That's. Right on. That's absolutely right. What's so interesting about this now, though, is that we are essentially at full employment. The unemployment rate at 4.1 percent. Finally, finally, wages are starting to inch up higher. Right. You would think that, you know, maybe people would be setting aside more money, but it's just not the case. People don't learn their lesson. But what should they take away from that experience? Well, we want to have, we all want to have, whether it's on a macro level, on the nation, on the national level, or on an individual level, we want to have our depression era moment. And it, and by that, I mean, we want to learn our lesson, like you said. I remember my grandfather, and you probably do too, uh, you know, we were pulling nails out of a board. We had to straighten them and keep them in a coffee can. He saved right. everything because he remembered the depression. His whole life, it affected him. It scarred him really, uh, to an unhealthy level in many ways, but it just ensured his frugality going forward. And well, so when and my I grandmother, bro- she would save rubber bands forever. We would have these big balls of rubber bands sitting around that she had been saving for literally decades. Yeah. And, and you know, they're dry rotted, but we keep them anyway. You know I mean? It's, <laughs> it, it's just, it's, it's what we, it's what you do when you, and I went through that. And when I lost everything in my twenties and it wasn't a, a macro issue. It wasn't the Great Depression. It was the Great Ramsey Household Depression. So if you've gone through losing a business like that, or you've gone through getting yourself in debt and, and you know, bankrupting yourself or almost, or losing a marriage due to money or something like that, you've had your own moment. Now, the question is, are you permanently scarred or did you just learn your lesson? Now, you don't want to be permanently scarred. That means you were harmed. And I don't want that. But I do want us to learn our lesson. And learning our lesson means, okay, we didn't save money before when times were good. Uh, You know, the harvest was plentiful. We set nothing back for the winter. We set nothing back for seed corn to replant in the spring. 
We ate and consumed everything. And, and I need to learn a lesson that that's just unwise. I'm going to set some money back, not only for long-term investing, but I'm going to set money back for emergencies. And, you know, we learn our lesson that debt doesn't take you anywhere except exposure stupidity later when things get nasty. Uh, as soon as you stress test stupid, it shows up, you know? <laughs> Absolutely right. You know what I love so much about your story and, and what it tells people so clearly is that you can experience the worst of financial situations and still come back and be super successful. That's exactly what you've done. Your Ramsey Solutions was founded, what, 26 years ago? 1992, really? So you have turned this whole thing on its head. It can be done. You don't have to take a bankruptcy filing, for example, like what, like what you did, as a sentence for the rest of your life. No, I'm not gonna, it's not going to be my defining moment, but it is going to be the platform from which we execute change. And so you, if you go through that or if you go through a job loss or you go through a hard time because of a 2007-8 type of a thing, you need to say, what are my never agains? Never again am I going to be in this situation. Never again am I going to find myself having wandered aimlessly into debt when I was making more money than I've ever made in my life. Mm-hmm. And, you know, right now at this moment, like you said, with full employment, there's a lot of people listening to this podcast that are making the most money they've ever made in their life this year and have nothing to show for it. <laughs> you know, what I really like is when I talk to people and they've made that change and they've decided to take responsibility and they're paying off their debt. The change in their whole being, in their mindset, how they feel about themselves, they become different human beings. You do, because one of the things that happens is is you don't care what other people think anymore. Amen and amen. The Joneses, they're gone. Yeah, because, I mean, I I, I don't want to be unkind to them, but I'm just not motivated by what you do with your life. I'm just going to do my life this way, and to the extent you don't agree with me, you're just what's known as wrong. So I'm doing it this way. You know, we're going this way. And, and you're right. It, it, there's an, a, a holistic change. There's a change in your relationships, the change in uh, you get more principle driven, uh, less tactical driven. I'm not so worried about the, the little nuances of uh, this thing or that thing. I'm more worried about the principle behind it and what's pushing this forward. And I'm going to avoid these principles that took my legs out from under me last time. So, yeah, you it, it there is a holistic shift. Um, and. Again, if it's not a scar, if it becomes a platform that you jump off of to your next level, then it doesn't define you. It doesn't, uh, you know, I've got friends that, you know, went through a divorce. I talked to a lady on the air the other day, calling in, went through a divorce. And the way she was talking about the divorce, I thought it was last week. And as I talked to her for a few minutes, it was 20 years ago. She's still living in it. Wow. You know, it's like it became it became her defining moment. No, no, no. What did you learn from that so that we move on and put that junk in the rearview mirror and keep driving? I love that. You know, you mentioned MBAs before, and I was looking through your book, Total Money Makeover, and I, I was laughing to myself because some of your lessons are actually taught in business school. Oh, like sure. I saw time value of money. You don't call it that. But so the idea that people pay hundreds of thousands of dollars to learn at fancy business schools all over the country, this idea that that money uh, gets bigger and bigger the longer you hold on to it. Right. So there's an opportunity cost to misspending it. If you are paying off credit cards and you're having to pay a lot of interest, that's money that could be used productively instead. 
So I just think it's, you know, these ideas, they're not hard, right? I mean, if a business school student can understand it, anybody can understand it, right? Well, when we're in finance class, you know, we're, we're taught, you know, how to put it in the calculator, present value, future value, the time, you know, the, the, the time value of money, opportunity costs, these basic things. But we're never in getting a finance degree. Never once was it mentioned in cash flow in the sense that, okay, a $504 car payment, which is the car, national average of a car payment right now over 84 months, a $504 car payment not put into a car and instead put into a good growth stock mutual fund in your Roth IRA from age 30 to age 70 is $5.8 million. Hope you like the car. Wow. You know, that's the opportunity cost on mm. 500 bucks a month that you're screwing around driving something that's going down in value. The minute you and, drive it off the lot. Exactly. And, and I'm not against cars. I, I just don't want cars to own people. And it becomes the mantra of the middle class to drive a car that you can't afford and then call me and ask me why you can't fund your kid's college fund. Because you're freaking driving it. That's why. Well, uh, and, and to that point, uh, I always tell people what you really want is walking away money. What are you saving for? What are you setting aside money for? Yes, the retirement, the college, kid's college but also walking away money so that if you don't want to work where you're work, you have control of your own life. Yep. You can leave that job. You can move on and do something different. You can start your own company. It's like personal freedom. That's a great uh, phrase. It, it's not a sentence, right? It, it, you're not doing time. You're investing in yourself. Yeah. If you've got walking away money, and here's what's interesting. It doesn't take as much walking away money to walk away if you don't have any payments. That's right. <laughs> it's easier to walk away. If you have zero payments and you got a little pile of cash over here in a mutual fund, uh, I mean, you can have that take this job and shove it conversation fairly easy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Amen and amen. Look, I feel like people instinctively understand a lot of these ideas. They just don't act on them. So how do you convince people to pull away the eye shades? Because I think people just blind themselves to the reality. They they stick the, the bill underneath the mat, basically, and try to ignore it. Well, there's at least two parts to that equation, I think. Um, it, w- one is, is that I have to believe that if I plant corn, I'm going to grow corn. I have to believe if I take these sacrificial actions that I'm, it's going to result in me winning. No one wants to sacrifice just because it's fun unless you're psychotic. So... You know, if I'm going to sacrifice, I need to have some kind of intellectual, emotional, spiritual assurance that I'm going to win as a result of the sacrifice. If I live like no one else, I want to live like no one else so that later I can live and give like no one else. I want to, if I'm going to drive a a, a hoopty, I want to drive a hoopty so I never have to again. You know, if I'm going to live in th- in this garage apartment above a furniture store, a guy doing a debt-free scream on my show yesterday said, if I'm going to live in that and my friends and my family are going to think I need counseling because I'm living in this studio apartment, if I'm going to do that, I need to know that as a result I'm going to win. I need to feel that. I need to see that clear path to winning. So that's hope. And then the second thing is we need to realize as consumers that there's a lot of well-meaning ignoramuses in the financial world that are giving us just straight-up stupid ideas. Like Leasing what? a car. 
and mm. buying term, I mean, buying whole life cash value insurance and using a credit card for airline miles. All of these things make people with tall buildings rich. They don't make you rich. You know, there's also the problem of, and I really want to get you on this topic because I think we just need some common sense on it. There, If you're a mom and dad and you have the house and you have the house payments and you have the kids and, and maybe both of you work, ultimately you're going to come to a point where you're choosing between your retirement and your kid's education. How do you navigate that? Well, I don't want to choose as an absolute. I've just got to have an order of attack. And we walk through, as you said in the book, The Total Money Makeover, the, the, what we call our baby steps. And once you're out of debt and have your emergency fund in place, that brings you to baby steps four, five, and six, which is four is put 15% of your income into retirement. Now, if you have no payments but a house payment, which you would have if you're working our system at that point, no payments but a house payment, and you're putting 15% of your income into retirement, that should leave room in the budget to begin to fund kids' college simultaneously. So it's not an either-or, but as an absolute uh, uh, philosophical statement, if I were in a vacuum, which we never are, and I had to absolutely slam my fist down and choose between funding education or funding my retirement, I'm going to fund retirement. That's a really hard sell to so many parents because they feel like they are responsible for their kids, like their kids will never get ahead unless they provide the way. Yep. Ultimately, though, could it be a good thing if, you know, little Johnny and Mary were making their own decisions and paying their own way? Well, again, it's not reality. and It doesn't have to be reality. You can start saving a healthy amount for retirement and, you know, carve some other lifestyle garbage out of your budget and start funding your kids' college. It's possible to help little Johnny and little Mary, but 52% of Americans will graduate from college. 100% of them that are alive will retire. <laughs> it's a great it's a great comparison. You know, I, I've been uh, following the Federal Reserve, which is a geeky thing that we spend a lot of time covering here. And uh, the folks at the Federal Reserve really don't see inflation in the economy. And I have to tell you, I see inflation in the economy. Uh, auto prices, car prices, truck prices are through the roof. Yep. You go to the grocery store, prices are through the roof. Yep. Um, and it kind of sneaks up housing. on you sometimes. Housing is through the roof. Yep. What advice do you have for people who are trying to navigate their way through this very expensive environment? It has been so long since we had inflation front and center, uh, the Jimmy Carter era, really, that That's it right. was front and center. Uh, but I got my real estate license in 1978. Real estate was going up 12% a year. When we did an appraisal on a piece of property that was six months, and we were using six-month-old comp, we added 6% to it. You know, it was 1% a month. Well, they're and, going up pretty fast right now. Yeah, and in some markets, it's doing that right now. That's a, that's what I was going to say. So that that's it. That's real inflation. And, of course, gas prices in those days shot way up, and they've gone up and down, up and down ever since. But, I mean, it was the first time that Americans went from – 12 cent gas to dollar 78 cent gas and we had a, a an energy crisis so we saw real inflation that was double digit back in those days so it was front and center in the news like some of the other economic issues are now and uh, and i think it's subtly and quietly in these different sectors snuck up on us and and i i'm in agreement with you that it's real and it's there and to not factor that into the time value of money and to not factor that into your wealth building plan that you have to outpace taxes 
and inflation. If you don't make enough on your retirement account to beat taxes and inflation, which takes you almost 6% to beat those two things, then you're actually going backwards in a net real value of that dollar. But if you give yourself enough time, if you're saving long enough, if you're investing long enough, then it's possible. In my yeah, but view. you just can't, you can't put it in a CD. That's right. And yeah. let me tell you, a lot of people are stuck in that world, right? Yeah, uh, if you're making 1% on your money and it's going backward 3 or 4% with inflation and another point and a half on taxes, I mean, you you have a real value, loss value of 4 or 5% here. And what do you think those certificates of deposit are returning? Do you think they've gone through the roof lately as interest rates have been rising? <laughs> no, my friend, they are not. That is nope. not happening yet. It's called margin in the banking business. Yeah, they're, they're making their nut and we are not. Uh, that's to be sure. I want to ask you another kind of generational question. Uh, Those 20, 30, heck, 40-somethings, they've wanted to buy a house for a long, long time. They've saved for it. Some of them moved in with mom and dad to put together a down payment. And now the prices are continuing to gallop ahead. Should people stretch to buy their first home? Usually when you buy your first home, you're stretching. Um, but do you do it out of order? I mean, do you, if you've still got $40,000 in student loan debt and you owe $26,000 on your car, do you go buy a house? No, that house is going to be a curse to you, not a blessing. If you've got that kind of situation, you're going to end up in a mess. Uh, and I talk to these folk every day that have done that. They panicked and they said, I've got to run and buy a house today because interest rates are going up. House prices are going up. I'm going to get priced out of the market. I've actually heard that line by people who have house fever for 25 years now. And so, (laughs) you know, you, you, you need to get your act together, get your good down payment saved. And then if it feels like emotionally you're stretching, if you've got a good down payment, an emergency fund and no payments, you're ready to buy a house. But but don't go buy something you can't afford even then. Go buy a 15-year fixed rate, and, you know, it might not be the one you want. It's a starter house, for God's sakes, you know. Get started. But uh, uh, it, it is the first home you buy is always emotionally a stretch. And if it's not, you're probably being reckless. I have to tell you, so when uh, we moved into our first home, I remember, but people can't see from the other side when you're standing at the window with your tongue out wanting to buy that home. Mm. What you can't see is you could have regret on the other side if you overbuy. Oh, yeah. And and it could be something that gnaws at you every single day as you struggle to make that mortgage every month. Uh, and when we moved in, I'll never forget, you know, my husband would be up late nights just thinking about it, wondering if we did the right thing. I mean, ultimately, it was it was great. <laughs> But, you know, even if you do the right thing, it's going to be an emotional journey and it's a big change for people. I, I, I personally think that having owning your own home is a big part of what makes you financially independent. And all the talk about it being a bad thing is overblown in my view, because I believe that controlling that large asset and paying yourself each month instead of paying a landlord makes a lot of sense if you're ready to do it. All of our data shows that you're right that the typical millionaire, when they achieve a million-dollar net worth, typically the first time they hit that million-dollar net worth, a million, million and a half, about a third of their net worth is their paid-for home. And so we're finding a millionaire with a million dollars in their 401K and a $500,000 paid-for house that took them 11 years to pay it off. That's what we're finding in all of our data points with all of our research. And so you're exactly right. The other thing that happens that people don't take into consideration, not only is the value of the home going up, 
but you are stabilizing your largest individual consumer cost point, which is That's housing. That's right. And 100% of the time, rent goes up. That's right. Over decades, you know, 25 years from now, rent is going to go up. Now, yeah, it may not so go if up you're this sitting there thinking, period, oh, might... let's sell the house, honey, and, you know, we'll just rent, right, for a no. while. You know, no, the I mean, there's people is... out there with all kinds of mathematical gymnastics trying to prove that that works, and it just doesn't. Let me tell you, when you're 74 years old and your husband passes away and you're sitting in a paid-for home that's been paid for for six years and all of that part of your life is stabilized, it changes your world. And that's what we're really looking for here, right? We want people to feel at ease, confident, calm. This is about as much an emotional journey as it is dollars and cents, really. It is. It's personal finance. And, you know, the first book I did years ago is called Financial Peace. Two words that don't go together, like airline service. You know, I mean, it's like, it's, you know, you just have to, who has financial peace? Well, people that, that have a plan. And that have avoided debt, they have an emergency fund, and they've built some wealth, and they've even gotten their house paid off. I mean, I, I tell large audiences, I'm speaking to 6,000 people in an audience a couple of weeks ago, and I'm like, just think, breathe with me for a second. Everyone in here, close your eyes, think about what it would be like if you didn't have a single payment in the world, not even a house payment, and you owned your home free and clear, you owned your cars free and clear, your kid's college fund was being funded aggressively, your uh, retirement was being funded aggressively, and everything you were getting ready to buy, you pay cash for it or you don't buy it. What kind of a world would that feel like down inside of you? It's audible with 6,000 people. You can Uh, hear the sigh. (laughs) Absolutely. That is freedom. To me, that's wealth. Do you know what I mean? It is. That's that what's feeling. What, that, that's how you build it. Yeah, and that, that's what you need to get from wealth. You don't get all the other things that you think about with some bad TV show or something. It doesn't give you that much power. You still have to talk the maitre d' into giving you a reservation. I mean, it just doesn't <laughs> give you that much power. It, it, but what it does do, give you is choices and stability. It takes out some of life's variables that give us so much personal stress. It changes our relationship bases. It changes, you know, when, when your, you know, grandbabies are coming, kids are getting married, things, you know, different phases of your life go along. Uh, you lose a job. It changes your reaction to everything because you've got this one area of your life under control. So there's a scene in the current movie Justice League where uh, somebody turns to Batman and says, "What's your special power?" And he says, "I'm wealthy." <laughs> I remember that. It's <laughs> pretty funny, right? That's a special power. And you know what? It's within everybody's power to get there if you take the right steps and if you're willing to be patient and if you take your time and build slowly. Exactly. And and the other thing you have to do is you have to believe it's okay to get there. You're the, you know, mm. the very title of your podcast, Rich is not a four-letter word. You know, we have to quit hating on this idea that building wealth somehow is evil or somehow you've done something spiritually or morally wrong, uh, you, you've violated cultural norms in order to become wealthy. That's the vast just majority not of the right. people, That's 98 just, per, yeah, mm, I'm sorry. Go right ahead. 98% of the people that I know, and, and I've coached literally tens of thousands of millionaires, didn't steal it. <laughs> they right worked on. hard. They saved their money. They paid a price. Some uh, Somebody else might not pay. They maybe didn't go on a, a certain vacation that you went on. Uh, and, and so, you know, but they didn't do anything wrong. 
And so this idea that you inherently believe that wealth comes from someone being crooked or someone inheriting their money and not working or dumb luck, these these false toxic beliefs, this mythology around the subject of wealth, where you call rich a four-letter word, will by definition keep you from getting there. Because unless you're psychotic, you cannot morally engage in something that you believe to be evil. Amen and amen. We all want to be wealthy. We all want to have the best lives for our children. We all want to live in a safe neighborhood. Uh, We want to have the freedom of making the financial choices that we want to make. So rich is not a four-letter word. Dave Ramsey, you are so awesome, and I so appreciate your spending time with us today. And uh, you've got lots of special powers, not just being wealthy. (laughs) (laughs) Well, one of them is i got a great friend in you. Thank you for having me. (laughs) Dave, thanks for coming on. You have a great day now. In this podcast, Ramsey describes the mindset it takes to overcome personal debt and shows you how to conquer the toughest financial hurdles families face. His words are not just illuminating, but inspiring. I listened to the podcast myself twice just to make sure I took it all in. Here are some takeaways. Number one, coming back from high levels of debt, what Ramsey calls a depression era moment is possible. He says the trick is to learn your lesson and change your behavior. Debt doesn't take you anywhere. It exposes your stupidity, he says. Number two, cutting debt gives you the personal freedom to live a life that is more principle-driven and less tactically driven. And even what may seem like small financial decisions can have big impacts on your bottom line. As an example, he says the average American makes a $504 monthly car payment. Were that money to be invested instead in a growth mutual fund for 40 years, those car payments would amount to $5.8 million at retirement. Number three, parents don't have to choose between their own retirement and funding their child's education if they choose to keep debt at bay. However, if they are forced to pick one thing to fund, Ramsey says choose retirement. 52% of kids will graduate from college, he says, but 100% of us will retire. And number four, buying your own home is a good investment. Fully a third of a typical millionaire's net worth is their house. And if you retire with your home paid off, you've stabilized your biggest monthly cost. There are many more takeaways in this important podcast and even more inspiration from Dave. Follow me on Twitter at Jerry Willis FBN and on Facebook where my handle is Jerry Willis. Bottom line, I want to hear from you. What money issues do you want to explore? Tell me and we'll get it on the podcast. Have a great day and remember, rich is not a four-letter word. If you enjoy this podcast, leave a review. Cudlow on Fox Business is now on the go for podcast fans. Get key interviews with the biggest business newsmakers of the day. The Cudlow Podcast will be available on the go after the show every weekday at foxbusinesspodcasts.com or wherever you download your favorite podcasts.